We're in a series called Family Foundations, and it's an appropriate series for me to mention uh, right now that our family as a church has been growing, and we've been making some moves to create more space so that more people can come and find Jesus through the ministry of this church family. So I want you to hear me on this. Next Sunday, our service times are changing. Listen, say it with me. Next Sunday. Okay, you're with me. You're on. Here's what it's going to look like. Mesa and Nawatuki, all right? 9, 10.30, noon, and 4.30, and Nawatuki, 9 and 10.30. So for those of you in Mesa, let me just give you a little heads up on this. Last week at this 11 o'clock service time, we ran out of space and we had to use an overflow space. That's a good problem to have. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about right there. So we're trying to create some more space. So we've changed these times, 9, 10, 30, and noon. Listen, if you normally go to this 11 o'clock service time, if you can come to that noon service time, you will be my favorite people in the church, okay? I know that not everyone can do that, but listen, if you can do it, do it. Treat yourself. You deserve to sleep in. You wake up early all week. Take your time getting the kids ready. Go to brunch and then come to the noon service. And if you can't make it to the noon service, I want to invite you to the full 30 service. It's banging. It's alive. It's awesome. I will warn you pretty soon here, some of our winter visitors are going to be at that nine o'clock service. And then if you must, I'll see you at the 1030 service. If you must, but, but it'd be great if you could help me out and come to that Newton service. Can you do it? It'd be awesome. It'd be awesome. I love that our church is growing. We'll always do what it takes to make room for more people, right? That's what it's all about. We're talking about family and family is so important. It's so important that God created the heavens and the earth and all that's within them. He created man and then immediately he established the family. Today we're going to look at the most foundational relationship in any family. Today we're going to discuss marriage foundations. Marriage foundations. And I'll just warn you right up front, this sermon is going to be very politically incorrect. But it will be very biblically correct, okay? So if you're a PC warrior, you can just start sharpening that ax right now. But what I'm talking about isn't old-fashioned, it's timeless. The Word of God is eternal, it never changes, and is just as relevant to our lives now as it was when it was first inspired. So I'm going to start out with Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Okay, so they say a man is incomplete until marriage, and after marriage, he's finished. (laughs) Marriage is a relationship in which one person is always right, and the other person is the husband. Adam was created, and God said, it's not good that this guy is alone. I'm going to make a wife, a 
helper who is just right for him. He put them together. He performed the first marriage ceremony. He said, okay, get busy, have some kids, and live happily ever after. And I'm sure that these newlyweds had some great days in the Garden of Eden. Talk about a destination for that honeymoon vacation right there. In the garden, in paradise, with no sin, in fellowship with God. But it wasn't long until things went bad in this marriage. Adam was negligent of his responsibility to tell his wife exactly what God said. Eve was deceived by the serpent, ate the forbidden fruit, and then gave it to her husband. These newlyweds ushered sin and death into the world through their disobedience to God. Their firstborn son murdered their secondborn son. Some of you are feeling like better parents already. I mean, you know they had some epic fights. Like, you think about the way you fight with your spouses, right? Can you imagine what they would, what they would fight? Like, Adam, you washed my blouse on the wrong setting and you ruined it. And Adam would have been like, yeah, well, you ate the wrong fruit and you brought death into the world and now we're all going to die. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty serious. I want you to know, if you've had a hard time in your relationships or maybe you've only seen unhealthy marriages, maybe you've only experienced unhealthy marriages, you might wonder, is it even possible to have a good marriage? Why is it so hard to be married? I'll explain it. Marriage is hard because people are bad. That's the short answer. They say marriages are made in heaven, but so is thunder and lightning. Remember when me and my wife first got married? We didn't get in a lot of fights, but one time, man, we got in a fight, and I was mad about something she did, and she was mad about something I did, and we were arguing and going back and forth. And finally, I kind of like laid it down, and I was like, you just need to embrace your mistakes. So she hugged me. (laughs) I hear people say like, man, My husband makes me so mad. He makes me crazy. I want you to understand, your spouse doesn't make you crazy. They reveal you're crazy. People will say, man, my my wife brings out the worst in me. No, she doesn't bring out the worst in you. She magnifies what's already wrong with you. It's because of our sinful nature, we're all inherently selfish. So when you put two selfish people in a house together who are dependent on each other with bills and responsibilities, and then you add in the stress of raising kids, and I don't know, maybe a pandemic, if you don't have a solid foundation, you're going to have a rough time. Jesus told a parable about a foolish man who built his house on sand. Must have been before building codes, but built his house on sand. And when the storms of life came and the winds blew, the house collapsed. Whereas a wise man built his house on solid rock. So when the storms of life blew, the house stood strong. The moral of the story is if you build your life on anything other than the rock of Jesus Christ, your life is going to be shaky like the house on sand. And so is a marriage built on the wrong foundations. A marriage built on feelings or sexual attraction or shared culture or even a marriage revolving around kids is like a house built on sand. We saw this statistic that just three weeks into the lockdown this year, divorce in America went up 34%. 
Okay? It only took three weeks being locked in a house with your soulmate. A little stress. And people are like, I'm out. These divorces weren't the virus's fault. The virus just revealed the bad foundation that had been there all along. And maybe that's some of you today. Maybe some of you are struggling in your marriage. Maybe you came to church today just seeing if there's some ounce of hope left that your marriage might survive. Maybe you're looking for a lifeline. I want you to know this. Divorce is not the answer to marriage problems. The world says if your marriage isn't going the way that you hope it will, if you're not happy, if you're not a satisfied customer, if you regret the choice you made, think you married the wrong person, you should just call it quits and get a divorce. Divorce doesn't always lead to happiness like some people hope it will. Worldwide, the divorce rate for first marriages is 42%. It goes up for second marriages to 60%. And divorce rate goes up for third marriages to 73%. Think about how unlogical that is. Like, thinking rationally about it, the more you're married, the better odds you should have of staying married. Like, you had all those chances to find someone you get along with. The problem divorcing to get out of an unhappy marriage is you have to take yourself with you. And you're at least 50% of the problem. In Matthew 19, verse 3, we're going to talk about divorce here. Some Pharisees come and try to trap him, Jesus, with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. Let's pause right there, okay? They asked Jesus a tough question. And Jesus responded, Haven't you read the scriptures? That's his answer to most of our questions. Most of the questions that we have about life are found already in the word of God. And we needlessly struggle because we don't know what God has said in his word, which was given to us to help us, not to restrict us, but to be a blessing to us. So Jesus, who was a Jewish rabbi, he believed and taught the Old Testament scriptures. He answered their question by, haven't you read the scriptures? And then he says this, he says, God made them male and female. That's not very PC, Jesus. I want you to, I want you to notice this. He didn't make them on a spectrum and ch- tell them to choose which identity gender-wise they felt most comfortable with. God made them male and female. It's very binary. You're male or you're female. He didn't make him a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body that needed to be changed and fixed, fixing God's mistake. He made them male and female. That's just the way that God, that the way that God made them. Amen. And then it continues and says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Again, this is very presumptive that he has a father and mother, but that's just typically how it works. This is the way God established marriage. I know some of you are getting mad already. I don't write the mail. I just read it. <laughs> The two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why, they asked, did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. Notice that. Divorce always involves at least one hard heart. Someone has to develop a hard heart in order to cheat on a spouse. Someone has to develop a hard heart in order to abandon a spouse. 
Someone has to harden their heart in order to give up on the marriage that they used to find joy in. It's not what God originally intended. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Okay, so this is what Jesus says. There is a reason that it's okay to, find, uh, to, to initiate a divorce if your spouse commits sexual immorality. That would be grievous sexual sin outside of the, the marriage uh, relationship. So this is not politically correct teaching. Right off the bat, some people would say, oh, Pastor Ryan, all this talk is, is hateful. Well, the thing is, the truth sounds hateful to people who hate the truth. But the truth sounds like love to people who love the truth. Marriage is a spiritual unification where two people become one. It's a covenant relationship, the way that Jesus establishes a new covenant between God and man. What does that look like? Even when we mess up, God keeps loving us because of God's grace. Well, in a marriage, it's a similar type of covenant relationship. Even when your spouse messes up and doesn't do the right thing, you keep doing the right thing. It's a covenant. It's not a contract where once the other side doesn't hold up their end of the bargain, you just bail. It's a covenant. That's the way God designed it, to become one. What's interesting to me is that even though the world doesn't recognize God's authority, they still feel the pain of breaking his laws. Divorce is unnatural, and it's painful, even for people with no faith or religious motivation to avoid divorce. But Jesus says, okay, this is not what God intended. He wanted two to become one except for sexual immorality. And I'll say this, even when that does happen, God can still heal those marriages. It goes on to say this, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to read from there. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her, and vice versa. If a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. Okay, so this is a question I get asked sometimes. Um, Hey, uh, Pastor Ryan, I'm a Christian, but my husband's not. He doesn't support me in my faith. He actually gives me a really hard time because of what I believe. What should I do? Well, This is an answer to that question. If he's willing to stay, you stay. If she's willing to stay, you stay. But if we're not not united, how are we going to be happy? If they're willing to stay, you stay. It goes on and says this, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer, the implication there is that a believer would not abandon their spouse. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. So here in the Word of God, we see two ways, uh, two reasons for divorce that are acceptable to God. Either your spouse cheats on you or commits some type of sexual immorality, or they abandon you and they insist on leaving. In either case, God permits divorce, although he still doesn't like divorce. He permits divorce and he allows you to go forward with your life and even remarry if you choose to do so. I've been asked this question a lot, you know, like, well, how, how should I handle it if, if our marriage isn't happy? What should I do if I'm not satisfied? It's been really hard. And one of the things that I hear Christians say a lot now is, my spouse is emotionally abusive. 
This is the phrase that Christians have found which makes them feel justified in divorcing even though God doesn't permit it. My spouse is mean to me, and so I need to get out in order to be okay. There's two reasons that God permits divorce. And oftentimes what we see today is that divorce happens because people are unhappy. It's interesting, when divorce laws were relaxed in the United States, everybody was afraid that men would abandon their families. But what has happened over time is that now 80% of divorces are initiated by women. And most, half, are because of irreconcilable differences. It's, I'm afraid that I won't be happy if I stay in this marriage. The Word of God makes it clear. Hear me on this. Fear that you won't be happy is not a justifiable reason for divorce. The Word of God makes it clear what is. And I'll say this. If you think you've got a unique situation that is an exemption to this or deserves special consideration, come and talk to a pastor about it. We'll, we'll talk with you about your situation. We'll help you walk through that. We'll give you counseling. But what I have found, sadly, is oftentimes people don't ask for guidance because they've already made up their minds about what they want to do, and they only want to hear confirmation of their own decisions. But like in all things, we are better off doing what God says is right over what we feel is right. It's interesting that God compares his relationship to us as a marriage. He says when we worship other gods, it's like we're committing adultery. But he doesn't divorce us. He keeps on loving us. He keeps on faithfully guiding us, hoping that we'll turn back to him. I want you to know if if you're in a marriage and it's just struggling, and it's going the wrong direction, it's not too late to turn it around. I believe this. No marriage is beyond hope. No marriage is beyond hope. If you're willing to open up your hearts to God, he can come into even the most broken marriage and do a miracle. I've seen it happen again and again. I've seen people forgive each other after affairs. I've seen addicts find freedom. I've seen people who were divorced get remarried. And I want to just encourage you in this. Our church offers free couple-to-couple marriage counseling. We've got mental health coaching, and you can sign up for either of these through our church app. Uh, You're obviously not going to fix a really broken marriage in one sermon, but this could be the beginning of God doing something new in your marriage. It's not beyond hope. There is always hope. Hope. I think about um, the marriage advice we got at our wedding. We had this uh, thing we did where we put cards on the tables at our wedding reception, and we asked people to just write out their marriage advice for us, you know, especially people that have been married a long time, and we still have all those cards at our house in like this vase thing. And here's one of the pieces of advice we got. It said, if you're wrong and you shut up, you're wise. If you're right and you shut up, you're married. I want to give you a few like practical tips on how to have a healthy marriage, okay? A couple practical tips here. Couples that stay together, here's what they do. The first thing is this. Couples that stay together play together. They play together. And I'm not talking about just playing board games, although that is one option. I'm talking about developing a friendship. Developing a friendship, learning how to enjoy each other's company, have fun together. That's what it means to play together. You have fun, but you spend quality time together. The thing about being friends with your spouse, friends don't have to fix each other. Friends love each other despite their weaknesses. 
And I, I even want to encourage someone today, if you have issues in your marriage, most issues don't actually need to be solved, but just talked about. Just talking about your feelings and what's going on, that will fix most of the problems in a lot of marriage. If you're not friends, if you don't learn to play together like this, uh, oftentimes you're just co-parenting the same children. And what happens is that as soon as your kids leave the house, there's nothing left holding you together. And people find themselves asking, what am I even doing here? And the marriage falls apart. That's why I encourage you as a married couple, those of you who are married or getting to be married, make it a regular part of your routine to go on a date night. Date night's not just about going out together and getting away from the kids and getting out of the house. Date night's about building a friendship. It's about building a friendship. And people struggle with this, like, oh, babysitters are expensive. Listen, babysitters cost way less than divorce lawyers. Make it a priority to play together. Couples that stay together, pray together. They pray together. You need shared faith. I'm not saying pray together like God is great, God is good, let us thank you for our food, amen. Like that's not it. Shared faith. You both need a foundation, a life that is built on Jesus Christ. Jesus needs to be the third person in your marriage relationship. If your marriage is built on Jesus at the end of the day, you'll be okay. Because even when you get sick of each other or frustrated or upset, you'll come back to the truth that is spoken in God's word. You'll do the right thing. You'll forgive. You'll love each other despite your faults. Let Jesus be the guiding, the guiding force. Man, I want to encourage any of you uh, who are single or dating someone, don't overlook how important it is to have shared faith. Right? If you don't have that, you're dating without divine purpose. That's why I encourage like, all you ladies, right? you got to be really careful about how, how, who you choose to marry. You guys, don't overlook uh, her faith or her lack thereof just because she has other assets that you like. If you do, you're building a house on sand. It's foolish. And here's the third thing. Couples that stay together lay together. They lay together. A healthy marriage needs physical, and emotional intimacy. The Bible actually talks about sex being important for a good marriage. It says this in 1 Corinthians 7, do not deprive each other of sex except for by mutual consent for a limited time, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you. Because of your lack of self-control. The Bible tells you it's important to have regular sex in your marriage. I know right now some guy's like, I like this church. (laughs) Yes. Yes, this pastor hears from God. (laughs) We're home. We're home. (laughs) If you don't have intimacy in your marriage, you're just roommates with shared responsibilities. Who wants that? Who wants to be friends without benefits? (laughs) Couples that stay together, they play together, pray together, and lay together. And let me talk about how the Bible coaches us towards a healthy marriage. The foundation of marriage is love and respect. The world says marriage is built on good communication, romance, attraction, maybe common life goals. The Word of God shows that a good marriage requires love and respect. Let me teach on that a little bit. Ephesians 5 starts out this way. In verse 21, further... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What's this talking about? This is describing the heart posture of a husband and wife. 
Out of honor and reverence for Jesus Christ, we are going to treat each other with respect and honor. If your spouse was important enough for Jesus to die for, he or she is important enough for you to honor and respect. This heart posture of mutual submission, it says, you go first. No, no, no. You go first. No, after you, I insist. No, no, no. I couldn't possibly. After you, right? It's treating the other person as worthy of love and respect. And then it goes into some specific advice for wives and husbands. In verse 22, it says this, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. I mean, this is a challenging piece of uh, scripture right here. Uh, This is something that a a lot of people wrestle with, especially when they hear that word submit. Okay, and and whenever this passage is read in church, I always feel the awkwardness just like it goes up like 20% at least. (laughs) Right, people don't really understand. But this is talking about the organizational structure of the family as God designed it. And we wrestle with this word submit because our culture has misappropriated this concept. When people hear submit, what they think of is subjugation. By definition, to subjugate someone is to control them or seek to enslave them. Subjugation is forced upon you, whereas submission is something you choose to do. So to submit to someone means you choose to accept their authority and role of importance. So that means, guys, don't go home and tell your wives, I wear the pants in this relationship. Or they say, behind every husband who thinks he wears the pants is a wife who told him which pair to wear. (laughs) So husbands, submission is not something that you should force or try to force upon your wife. That would make it subjugation. That's not what we want. Submission is chosen. That's why for all you gals who are dating a husband, right, it's a very important decision who you choose to marry because you're choosing a future leader for your family. So choose wisely. Jesus does not subjugate us. He does not seek to control us or enslave us, but rather, as we submit ourselves to him by choice, he leads us into blessing and freedom. So hear me on this. Honoring the authority structure of the family that God established brings blessing, protection, and peace to your hearts. It says in this passage, as Christ is the head of the church, a husband is the head of his wife. Here's the thing. This is the org chart for your family, whether you like it or not. So Jesus is the head of the church, whether we like it or not. If I pretend that I'm the head of the church, it's not going to go well. Best case scenario, you all leave. Worst case scenario, I spontaneously combust. Because Jesus is the head of the church. And a family that doesn't recognize the org chart that God established, it's not going to go well. Best case scenario, people are miserable. Either he is or she is or both of them are. Worst case scenario, the marriage falls apart. 
God designed marriage in such a way that men are the spiritual leaders of their family. And it's true. Men, hear me on this. You're the leaders of your family, whether you're a good leader or not. If you're a bad leader, your family will suffer for it. If you're a good leader, your family will thrive. It's a big responsibility. Understand that being the leader isn't a right that husbands get. It's a responsibility to give of themselves. So if the word submit makes you uncomfortable, I'll go back to what I've said before. Anytime I see something in the Bible that I don't like, it doesn't reveal a problem with God. It reveals a problem with me. I need to deal with it. I need to talk to God about it. How do you respect your husband? Well, here's what it looks like. Practically, you honor him in word and in action. You treat him as important, not as another child. You follow his lead and respect his authority. If a final decision has to be made, it's his responsibility to make it. And as a wife, your responsibility to honor it. It means... You don't manipulate him into doing what you want with guilt trips or sighs. It means you do whatever you can to make him look good and have his back and help him to be successful in everything. You talk about him in an honoring way, especially to your friends and family. That's what it looks like to respect your husband. And then it goes on and says this to husbands, verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Again, there's the word of God with traditional gender roles. I get it already, God. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must Respect her husband. So this is what's awesome about Christianity. Christianity elevates the status of women to a level unknown before in human history. Before Christianity, women were second-class citizens at best and valued far below men. But here the word of God completely changes that. It elevates the status of women to the highest level. It says, husbands, here's how you love your wives. Not just by buying flowers and being romantic. Hey, girl. (laughs) But as Christ loved the church so much that he died for her to fix her problems. He was ripped to shreds so that she would look good before God. This is the highest form of love to lay down one's life. How do you love your wife? Husbands, it means you do whatever it takes for her to be okay fighting for her even to the death if necessary. Notice the difference. God does not tell wives you need to be willing to die for your husband. It does tell husbands you need to be willing to lay your life down for your wife. That means if the ship's going down and there's only one seat left in a lifeboat, the girl lives, the guy goes down with the ship. 
They say there are no atheists in foxholes. I guarantee you there were no feminists on the Titanic. It means if there's only a little bit of food left and you're starving to death, she gets the food. Guys, you get six-pack abs. <laughs> if a criminal starts shooting, you cover her body with your body. You take the bullet. She lives. If you're tired and she needs your help, you get your butt up and you help her. You can sleep when you die. <laughs> love means, as you love your wife like Christ loved the church, you figure out what makes her feel loved and you do that, whether it comes natural to you or not. If she likes presents, you might need to get you a part-time job. <laughs> if she likes poems, bro, you're Shakespeare. <laughs> if she likes chocolate, you're the Easter bunny. <laughs> if she needs some sweet loving, you might have to be the, e the Energizer bunny. <laughs> right? Like if she wants to talk while you're watching football, thank God for DVR, pause. <laughs> Listen, if she wants tacos and you want burgers, vamos a Mexico. That's what it means. So you see these, these roles here, God calls wives to submission and husbands to self-sacrifice. I know these are traditional gender roles. I don't believe in traditional or cultural gender roles. I believe in biblical gender roles. Tradition and culture changes. The word of God is timeless. So I'm going to close with this. There are two different cycles you'll get yourself trapped in in your marriage. The first one that I see a lot of times is the suffering cycle. This is a negative feedback loop that a lot of people deal with in marriage. Where a husband doesn't love his wife as Christ loves the church. And a wife doesn't respect her husband as she would the Lord. And so they both suffer. Without love... She suffers. She's going to struggle. She's never going to flourish. Without respect, he struggles. He's never going to achieve his full potential, and their marriage is going to be a continuous, ongoing cycle of suffering. A lot of people get themselves trapped in this. The thing they do is they often say, well, he's not doing his part, so I'm not going to do my part. And then, guess what? The other person turns around and says, well, she's not respecting me, so I'm not going to love her. And she says, well, he's not loving me, so I don't feel like respecting him. It's a cycle. It's a vicious cycle of destruction, and it leads to misery. And I often see some common problems that happen when people don't do these things, right? Like, if he doesn't love his wife, if a husband doesn't love his wife as Christ loved the church— She's oftentimes going to feel worn out and anxious as she tries to carry the burden of leading her family that God designed her husband to carry. As she doesn't respect him as her husband, as the leader of their family, oftentimes he'll give up. Like, why should I even try? She's not going to see me that way anyway. The more she treats him like a child, I see the more he acts like one. Oftentimes, like, he doesn't love her the way that she wants to be loved. And if enough time goes on, she'll be tempted to look for love in all the wrong places. Maybe by talking to an old friend from high school on Facebook. Maybe living vicariously through episodes of The Bachelor. When she doesn't respect him as her husband, I find that she oftentimes will lose attraction to him as well. Because the more she sees him as the boy, the less she sees him as a man. She'll start to fantasize about other men. And this never ends well. 
versus the love cycle. The love cycle is so much better. The love cycle means, man, you're going to love your wife, guys. You're going to love your wife. And when you do with love, she flourishes. This is the byproduct of a well-loved wife. She flourishes. She grows beautiful inside and out. She reaches her full potential everywhere she goes. She's just radiant um, as a follower of Jesus and is happy. As she respects her husband, he rises. He rises. With disrespect, he's often going to fall to the level of her disrespect. When she speaks life to him, he rises to it. Isn't that funny how guys do that? Like, girls, when you're talking to your husband, you're like, oh, my man is so fine. He, go, he looks good. Next thing you know, he's in the gym, like, doing curls. He's carrying in, like, 15 bags of groceries from the store. Like, it's crazy how he rises. God, ladies, like, you can speak life to your husband's dreams and watch him rise. Guys, as you love your wife, you're going to speak strength to her insecurities. She's going to flourish. It's a self-fulfilling cycle of love. It's a positive feedback loop. It's the way God designed it to work. The more you love your wife, the more she respects you. The more you want to love her, the more she wants to respect you. The more you want to meet her needs, the more she wants to meet your needs. The happier you get, the happier she gets. Choose the love cycle. If you've been trapped on a cycle of suffering, it's time to change your patterns of behavior. It's never too late to change. And I know some people will struggle with this. Well, what if I do the right thing, but my spouse doesn't do the right thing? You keep doing the right thing. Keep loving your spouse the way that Jesus loved the church endlessly. Now, here's what's interesting about this, right? The culture that we live in today, think about this. It says, men, you should love your wives and treat her as a princess, but it doesn't really support this other part about, about respecting your husband. It's like, oh, well, he needs to earn your respect. Wow. Or, or he, he shouldn't see you as, he shouldn't see you as, himself as the leader of your family. That's not, you know, equal rights. That's not really like a progressive anymore. And, and so the culture that we live in, it's all for the loving your spouse thing, but it's not so much for the respecting your spouse. And what's funny about that is it's just a reflection of our rebellion against God. We are all about receiving God's love, but we don't want to have to submit to his authority. We're like, oh yeah, God, <laughs> it'd be great if you would answer my prayers and bless me and make the sun to shine upon me. But I don't want to have to obey your commands or do what you say in the Bible. I want the love, but I'm not willing to give you the respect. And the problem is people think that God is like this big, beautiful fairy in the sky that just grants our wishes. God is not the fairy in the sky. He is the supreme authority. And he says, man, after loving us first and sending his own son to die on the cross for our sins, he's waiting for us to submit to the authority of Jesus, making him the Lord and king of our lives. And when we do that, we experience even greater levels of love. He forgives our sins. He blesses us. He teaches us to live rightly. It's just the way God designed it. It's a cycle of love. So I want to just encourage you today, choose the love cycle. As we submit to the authority of Christ, he becomes our king. As we trust him as the son of God, we find that he dies for our sins, rises again, leads us into eternal life. When we follow his lead, he leads us to life and fills our lives with blessing. So today, I just want to take a moment to pray for anyone 
who might be married and in a marriage that you say, I'm struggling, I need God's help. We want our marriage to grow. We want our marriage to get better. Maybe your marriage has been great, but you just want to see it go to a higher level, uh, just greater levels of blessing and mutual affection the love that God designed for you. Uh, God will help you to grow in this. He doesn't expect you to be perfect and have it all figured out. He's gonna help you as you both do the right thing. You're gonna find that it comes easier and easier and your marriage gets better and better. It's true, this is the way it works. So if you're ready for this today, you're like, hey, I I want God's help for a a great marriage. Maybe you're married, maybe you're going to be married, or maybe you are single, you're not planning to get remarried, but God wanted you to hear this message today so that you could help other people in their marriages. We wanna pray for strong marriages in our church today. Pray with me. God, we need your help. We wanna have marriages that honor you. We know that you have designed marriage as the foundational relationship of every family, and that without a strong, healthy marriage, we can't have strong, healthy families. So God, we pray for healing in broken marriages. We pray that the person who feels hopeless on the brink of giving up has been encouraged today to keep going and to trust you to bring healing to a strained relationship. We pray for greater blessing on healthy marriages, God, that there would just be greater levels of love and respect for one another, and that we would honor you with our lives to the point that unbelievers would look at our relationships and want what we have enough and end up finding Jesus. We want our kids to be blessed through healthy marriages. And we know that strong families come from strong marriages. So God, do it again. We pray that you would raise up strong marriages in our church. In Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees with me, say amen. Amen. Amen.